Now, I'll tell you that right now we are in a series called How to Have the Worst Year Ever. And if you follow these steps, you can absolutely spoil your year. You can really ruin your life. Uh, but, if you kind of, but if you also listen to what we're really saying, you can really have the best year ever, despite outside circumstances. Now, uh, next week we are going to finish this series. Next week will be part six of this series. And then two weeks from now, we're going to start a brand new series uh, that I've simply entitled, Bring Your Own Bible. And in two weeks, we're, for about four to five weeks, we're going to go through this series called Bring Your Own Bible. And guess what I want you to do? I want you to bring your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles that we're going to put in the seats in the next couple weeks. Once they get here, we've ordered some new Bibles. We're going to put them in the seats. And if you forget yours, you can use it. But if you don't have one, at any time, anyone can take the, the Bible from their seat, and it's theirs. It's yours. Paid for by the people of New Life Church. Okay? <laughs> Thank you. Yes. And so, so if anybody's ever here and they don't have a Bible, we're going to encourage them to take the one from the seat, put your name in it, and make it yours. And, uh, and so anyway, bring your own Bible. Uh, we want to see people walk into the church with your physical Bible. But I read my Bible on my cell phone. I do too. But sometimes there's just something about getting that book in your hand, flipping through it. And, uh, and so what we're going to do in that series is we're going to read some longer portions of Scripture. I'm going to show you some cross-referencing, Old Testament, New Testament. Probably going to show you some things that we call hermeneutics. Who's Herman? He's not just an organ player. Hermeneutics is a word for the art of studying and interpreting Scripture. And so bring your Bible, bring, bring a pen so that you can mark it up, and, and we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm really, really excited about that series. Uh, but today we're going to continue in how to have the worst year ever. But like we do, because you will only remember 4% of what I say, which makes me very depressed. I work very hard on this. Uh, but, but if I repeat what I said, you'll remember more. So like we do, let's... Review, right? Okay. Uh, in the first week of this series, we said, if you want to have the worst year ever, be a complainer. Be a complainer. You will certainly ruin your life if you complain. I've watched people that are some of the most privileged, blessed people, and they live in misery because they just complain. I'm like, you don't know how good you have it. Like when people complain to me, and I'm like, like if you only knew who you're talking to, like, 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 you've got it really good, okay? Like, uh, so be a complainer. What we learned was that complaining is sin. The Israelite people, they stirred God's anger every time they complained. God was never surprised by their hardships. But it was in their hardships when they complained, God got annoyed. So hardships can be expected, but just check your attitude when you're in them. So we, we, what we said was we have to build a contentment within us. And ultimately, to, bat, to combat complaining, we ultimately have to just take responsibility and do something about it, right? Like I've got, you know, people will come to me and come to my office and like, yeah, you can tell me about all your problems, but if you're not willing to do anything, I can't fix it for you. I, I, like I wish I could fix it for you, it's just not possible for me to fix it for you. You have to take responsibility and do something about it. The second thing we said, if you want to have the worst year ever, then be selfish. 
The lie of our world is that everything is about you. And, and whenever, wherever there's a selfish person, there's a suffering person. And we, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan in that. And so if you really want to find your life, you have to give your life. And there is, there is per, you find purpose, you find uh, your, your reason for living and stop living for yourself and live beyond yourself. And uh, so and, and the third thing we said is if you want to have the worst year ever, then be afraid. Just live in fear, live in fear, be afraid. Living in fear is when you feel powerless and alone and unprotected, but we know is that God is our power, God's got your back, and God is our protection. So we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in fear. Last week we said if you want to have the worst year ever, then try to do it alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. So if you want to have the worst year ever, do that. But what we said last week is we need Everyone needs to belong. Everyone, and that we need to do life together. And, and, and really, this is why, why I believe life groups of our church are so essential, because we need you. You need people in your life, and you need to do life together. We need each other because unity matters in the church. New content. That was the review. If you want to check out any of that, if you miss it, you can always go to newlifeforkelkman.org. All of our messages are archived there. But today, if you want to have the worst year ever, then be stressed. That was a funny response. Be stressed. No one likes being stressed. But Americans are some of the most stressed out people in the world. Did you know that? If you don't believe that, just get behind the wheel of your car and try to go anywhere. People are stressed. What's interesting is we're the most stressed people in the most free country. We're some of the most blessed people, but it seems like we're just blessed to stress. So if you want to have the worst year ever, live stressed. Stress will affect your health. Stress will affect your judgment. Uh, stress will affect your mental health as well. Here's what I would say that stress is. Stress is the point where one's performance and one's limitations collide. In other words, there's no space between what you're doing and the limitations that you have. Everybody has a certain capacity, but stress is when the gap between performance and capacity narrows. And, and you are, in other words, you're reaching your limitations. And this tension, this pressure where there's no margin in between your performance, what you're doing now, and your limitations, it causes incredible stress. So when, when the limitations of your budget is here, right, and your spending is here, stress. When, when in your relationships, when there's limitations to what your relationships can handle, but your performance is closing the gap between your performance and your limits, stress, tension, friction, freaking out. It's not fun. 
So if you want to have the worst year ever, just live stressed. Live with no margin in your life, no room for error. When you live, when you live with this, without margin between performance and limitation, in other words, you are living maxed out. You, you are living too close to your, your personal maximum capacity. And, and in other words, it's almost like you're living too close to the edge, and one wrong move sends you to your demise. It's easy to think of, see, see this in our, in, a, in our personal finances. If we run our personal finances too close to the edge, one car problem sends us over the edge. One, one bill, one, one high utility bill, when the washer breaks down, it ultimately can send us into a downfall. But not just financially, but physically, relationally, spiritually. Spiritually, people try to live as close to the edge as they can. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I field questions when people say, well, well is this really a sin? And I say, well, how close to the edge do you want to live? Like, how close to the edge do you want to be? I want to be as far into the lap of God as possible. And, and we're not, not living so close to my limitations that one wrong move sends me into my demise spiritually. So the key to helping reduce stress is then to increase that space between limitation and performance. And we call this gap margin. Margin. And our finances, we want to create margin. We spend less than we make. Margin. In our relationships with our spouses and our kids, we want to have margin. In other words, we want to have quality time where connectivity can happen. And then when chaos comes, connectivity can be stronger than the chaos and you can solve problems without exploding. Um, it's like boiling water. Um, one of my pet peeves is when, uh, when I'm okay, when I'm making box mac and cheese. Okay, I'm just. My wife is an amazing cook, and I I fake it. But when I boil something as simple as boiling water, and it boils over. Uh, it's, it's one of my biggest pet peeves because of the mess it makes on the stove. And I'm like, oh, darn it. Like, you hear it boiling over because we weren't paying attention. And it's just like, oh, I know it makes a mess. And I'm kind of a, I'm not OCD. I'm like pre-OCD maybe. I don't know. Uh, so, but the, so that, that annoys, I put too much water in it or I wasn't watching it. So if, you, if without margin in the top of the pot, it will ultimately, when it hits its boiling point, it'll boil over. And without margin in our lives, when we hit boiling points, we boil over. But if you put a limit, an absolute, an absolute limit, and you put a lid on there, like a, like a pressure, pressure cooker lid, but you seal off the valve, and then you boil it, what happens? It explodes. The pressure will build, and it will explode. And people live under this pressure in their lives because they don't have space. They don't have room for air. They don't have margin. They are living to the maximum limitation that they can handle. 
and the slightest thing will put them off and cause an explosion. And if we, I think many of us know what it is to hit that boiling point in our lives, and we, and we soon live to regret it for things we say or things we do because of stress. Now, everyone has different capacities. So don't like measure yourself against other people. Well, this person at work, they seem to be doing fine and they have all these things going on. Well, this mom over here, man, she has more kids and she's running all these different places. Why can't I do what she does? Listen, everybody has a different capacity for stress and, and everyone has different limitations. Um, you have to learn what your limitations are and what I have come to learn is that I have that, that you can grow in your capacity when you manage the limitations you currently have. So your capacity can grow, but don't explode them. <laughs> now, now, everyone has different capacities. Jesus created margin in order for him to stay focused and on mission. Let's look at what it says in Mark chapter 1. It says, very early in the morning while it was still dark. This was a habit Jesus made. He would slip away from the crowds, disappear from the disciples, and he would go and he'd get alone. He's creating space, marginal time in his life. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed now Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. It's like, uh, listen, moms, Jesus knows your pain. Mom, mom, and everybody needs you for something, and work's calling, the school's calling, your kids are calling, your husband's calling, and you're like, stressed. Everybody's looking to have a piece of Jesus but where was he? He got away from everybody. He made that time. And so Jesus replied, he said, okay, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also because this is why I have come. A couple things that this teaches me is first that Jesus, he got up very early in the morning. And I've told you this before, but it's worth repeating because you only remember 4% of what I say, apparently. That's not a shame on you. That's just what statistically they say very early in the morning jesus got up you know what nobody ever gets up early to do anything dumb and no one stays up late to do anything smart <laughs> parents with teenagers holler at your pastor come on help me no one stays up late to do anything smart no one gets up early to do anything dumb. People get up early to get to work, to get to school. People get up early to work out. People get up early to pray. People get up early to be productive. Jesus, very early in the morning, is when he found marginal time, creating space between performance and limitation. He says he, it says he went off to a solitary place. He knew he needed to separate himself in order to be filled up. And he prayed Sometimes it's important that we pray before we play. And then he said, this is why I have come. Having that space that reduces stress requires you to know what you're called to do 
and when you know what you're called to do, it's easier to say no to things that aren't connected to your purpose and say yes to what matters most. And I will tell you that in my 14 years of being married, in my 13 years of being a parent, I have said yes to things that should have been a no. And when I say yes to things outside my calling as a husband, a father, and a pastor, a follower of Jesus, when I say yes to too many things outside of what he's called me to do, somebody else will bear the burden of that stress. And it's almost always your wife and family. Know what you're called to do. Know what to say no to. And know what to say yes to. And you can reduce stress in your life. I want to give you five commitments. Five commitments to combat stress. Come on, is this helping somebody today? I don't know, maybe none of y'all have stress in your life ever, ever. But maybe somebody you know might have stress, okay? So listen to it for them. For them. So five commitments to combat stress. The first one is commit to live offense-free. Commit to live offense-free. We had an election year not too long ago. Y'all, I saw some stressed-out people. All upset about things in this world. And I get it. I get it. There are... Things that will upset us. But offense, when left undealt with, will create resentment in your life. And it's like a disease that will infect the inside of you. You begin to see the whole world through the light of negativity, and you will be stressed. When you have an offense towards a family member, a friend, a co-worker, you are stressed. You go to work, you're in the same room as them, your mind begins to run, you, begin, you feel your heart rate go up because you're just, the resentment and unforgiveness in you is just boiling up within you. And can I tell you something? That person that's causing that within you, they ain't thinking nothing about it. They're living their life free, and you're in prison. Commit to live offense-free. Romans 12, 18, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on who? Me, you and me, us personally, live at peace with everyone. Romans 12, 14, it's not on the screen, but it says, bless those who persecute, persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So when you're driving to work tomorrow, and maybe you used to be cursing the boss on the way there. Bless and do not curse. Matthew 5, 44, it's not on the screen, but it says, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, praying for the offender is like an antibiotic that helps stop the infection of offense. But, but Devin... I'm just venting. I'm just venting to my coworker. I'm just venting to my friend. No, listen. When we just are venting to other people, we're actually searching for someone to agree with us. So we have validation for our offense. 
and then we can avoid forgiveness. Because if you can validate me and my pain and my offense, well then, I'm right. Here's the thing about forgiveness. Sometimes you're right, and sometimes they're wrong. But we always have to forgive. Colossians 3.13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, how did God forgive you? Well, let me ask some questions when it comes to forgiving. How much should I forgive? How much did God forgive? How often should I forgive? How often does God forgive your sorry foot? (laughs) What offenses should I forgive? Well, what offenses did God forgive of yours? Who should I forgive? Who does God forgive? How quickly should I forgive? How quickly did God forgive you? When before the foundation of the world, Jesus was a lamb that was slain. An offended person who cannot forgive is often a person who has forgotten what they have been forgiven of. And when we remember all that God has forgiven us of, forgiveness gets to be a little bit easier. Hmm. So, if you, so if you want to reduce stress, make the commitment to live offense-free. I'm telling you, it's liberating. It's liberating to forgive and not harbor offense. The second commitment is commit to your work. We all have, many of us, jobs that we are blessed to have. Maybe your job is at Chrysler, Delphi, Delco, BorgWarner, whatever you want to call them now. It's something in that. Maybe your job, you work retail. Maybe you're a business owner. Maybe, maybe you are a stay-at-home parent with a full-time job overtime required taking care of your household and family whatever your job is whatever your work is maybe you're retired but you've committed your yourself in time of volunteering in some ways whatever your work is commit to it how does this reduce my stress again i'm glad you asked colossians 3:23 says whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not human masters. Proverbs 14.23 says, All hard work brings a profit. We like that. We like profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. So having this, this space between our performance and our limitation, I call this margin, it is never an excuse to be lazy. Oh, I just, I just need some me time. 
calling off work. I just need some me time. I'm not going to clean up. I'm not going to do laundry. I'm not going to do the budget. I'm just going to, I'm just, I just, I'm stressed. I'm stressed. I need some me time. The problem is that stress creates a residual effect of more stress when you think that because I'm stressed, I'm not going to commit to what I, the work it takes to build my life. Because when you avoid hard work because you're stressed, you actually are you're minimizing your margin because now, at some point, you will have more to do with less time to do it. And you have now compressed time, or if you... I'm just stressed, and so maybe, maybe you're a stressed spender. Well, then the debt begins to pile up, and now you have higher bills with the same income, and you're stressed. You see, commit to work, because when you commit to work, and you commit to the work of being, having an organized life, and you commit to the work of, of being faithful at your job, it actually will reduce stress when you commit to work, because without it, you're just... You're postponing everything that you have to do. Eventually, when you have to face it, you'll have less time to do it, less money to do it, and so forth. Commit to your work. So the lack of initiative on our part actually causes margin to decrease, but the pressure to increase. Now, laziness is the habit of taking a rest before you're tired. It's the habit of taking a break before real work was even done. It got quiet in here. (laughs) Success and failure are not separated by skill alone but often by ambition and initiative. And so if you want to reduce stress in your life, commit to your work. Otherwise, you're going to just compress time, increase pressure, and decrease margin. Okay, that's enough about that. Number three, if you want to reduce stress, commit to your health. Commit to your health. You know, we often talk about that God is a triune being. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that he created triune people. That we are body, soul, and spirit. And in church, we spend a lot of time building your soul and your spirit. Um, we, we don't spend any time helping you build your body, which is part of that triune being. But it is important. Um, First Corinthians says this, it says, do you not know? And sometimes when I read that, it's like, oh, I forgot. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were, you were bought with a price. Therefore, what? Honor God with your bodies. So commit to your health. Uh, for some, if you simply start taking care of your physical body, you can reduce stress in your life. And I know this isn't the, simple, the, the, the most comfortable topic to talk about, but yet I, I think it's important to, 
to address things that may even be hard for us. And that taking care of our physical body is, is something, is a responsibility we have unto God. I have been both good at it, and I've also been incredibly terrible at it. Because if you want to talk about stress, my, my, my favorite kind of stress is stress eating. Can I be real? And uh, I've been doing much better about this the last year. But, um, but man, there's just, there's just no eating like stress eating. It's pretty fun, actually. Um, I, I have been doing really good lately about uh, reducing certain inflammatory foods. I was having a lot of joint pain, and, and, and many of you are, that have been here are aware that if you, <laughs> uh, I hate it, but if you go and look on our website when I first came versus now, you're like, who's that guy? Uh, I, I, was, I was quite heavy two years ago. Um, but I, I've, I've been trying to cut out certain inflammatory foods uh, because I was having a lot of joint pain and feeling much older. My body felt old, you know, and uh, it just, I just hurt all the time, and uh, I, I couldn't hardly get out of bed in the mornings. I was so stiff, and I was like, I was like why is this? And, and uh, so I've cut out a lot of, like, grains and dairy and fried foods, and, and, and I've relieved. Uh, I, I have a relief from a lot, of, a lot of this joint pain I've battled with. And, um, and, and so... Um, it has reduced a stress in my physical body and in, and in my health as well. They say also that um, 20 minutes of exercise can double your strength. Double. And, uh, and I was struggling with my strength in, in, a, in a terrible, terrible way. And, um, and so now taking care of your physical health it doesn't always mean that you've got to go be a, a gym rat, you know, but simply finding a way for you to be physical, finding a way to control uh, portions of your diet, I think it is really important because uh, I hate seeing people stress in their physical health simply because they didn't take care of themselves. And like I said, my favorite kind of eating is stress eating. I'm a stress eater, man, I'm not going to lie. But then... I was just causing my own demise when I would stress eat. Then I'd be stressed about how I feel, you see. Uh, and so just taking steps forward in our health, um, honoring God with our bodies. So be watchful for your physical health. Number four, another commitment to reduce stress is commit to a financial budget. Commit to a financial budget. Financial stress is one of the top reasons for divorce. Did you know that? I remember early in my marriage, um, we, do, we do our budget every time we get paid. And so I always knew that the week I got paid, Jenny and I were going to have intense fellowship. <laughs> and, and, and we have really grown a lot in understanding, um, one, how to communicate and, um, and, and how each of us kind of grew up with a different view of money. And so, uh, so it's important if you're married to be united together in how to plan your finances, how to plan for fun, but how to plan for future and, and how to plan for your family. 
but taking the time to be united in that front has always helped Jenny and I the most. So uh, get your financial priorities right. And what I mean by this is, as followers of Jesus, I came to recognize when I was 18 years old, um, some of you know my story, but I moved out of my house 30 days after graduation of high school, and I moved 700 miles away from my family, lived completely on my own, making $8.10 an hour, and that was good money um, for an 18-year-old. Um, but I learned that, but I, I, I really made a particular scripture my foundation in that time. And that is, he who is faithful with a little will be given much more. And although my job at the time was stocking frozen foods on third shift at a grocery store, he who is faithful with a little will be given much more. And I was the best frozen food stalker that store has ever seen. And, uh, Actually, my coworkers would tell me to slow down because they would, they would like to milk it, you know. I'm like, no, I'm here to, I'm here to crush it. And uh, so he's faithful with a little, be given much more. And so when I realized being faithful with my finances was important, the number one thing I realized was that it was all God's money. That, that every paycheck I got, it was all God's money. And that all he wanted from me was a tenth. And if I were to commit to the principle of tithing on what is all God's money, then God would bless all my money. And I don't know how, over the last 14 years, Jenny and I have made it, honestly. We've been in ministry for a long time, and, and, and some years were easier than others, some years harder. I don't know how we've made it. But what I do know is we've been committed to the tithe since I was 18 years old, and we've never been in want. We've had hard seasons. We've, we've had times where we're, we've been a little stressed, but God has taken care of us, and he's blessed it all. So get your financial priorities right. It's all God's money, and you are to steward the amount of money he's given you. Be faithful with what you have. And he who is faithful with a little will be given much more. So let me ask you a question. How are you stewarding God's money? How are you doing at that? Let me ask this question. This is a question I've asked our church before in this topic. It's, uh, and that is this. It's, if you managed the money of a company, the way you manage your personal finances, would you be fired Well, we're all managing a portion of God's money that he has allotted to us. 83% of people live paycheck to paycheck. 15% of people have no idea what their monthly income even is. So here's a tip someone gave me years ago when I was 18, 19 years old, and and I've, I've held to it, and that is this. Periodically, you just have to give yourself a pay raise. Does that sound good? I'm not, what I'm not saying is to march into the boss's office and say, give me a pay raise. No, no, no. Every time we reduce our expenses, we give ourselves a pay raise. And in a day when everything seems to be on a monthly subscription, I encourage you to go look, how many things am I monthly being dinged for on my bank account that I forgot about? 
What types of things can we go without right now to reduce debt or just to create more margin and be more stress-free? So I encourage you, if you want a practical step, go find a way to give yourself a pay raise this month. You can create margin. Here's here's what I want to encourage you with. You can, listen church, you can control your money. It doesn't have to control you. Sometimes it takes time or even a plan of a few years to get back on track. But if you do it now, you won't be in crisis in five years, in ten years, because you chose to do something now. Proverbs 3, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. I want to give you one more thought on finances when we're going to go to the last point and we'll wrap up. You don't need to buy yourself into poverty and you don't need a money tree to be content. You don't need to buy things to impress people who don't care and don't think that contentment ever has a dollar sign attached to it. I always used to think if I could just make $30,000 a year, I'll be good. That wouldn't be good anymore. I used to think if I could only achieve this, and now I've realized I'll never achieve that. But it doesn't mean I'm not content. Because contentment doesn't have a dollar sign on it. What I'm not also telling you is that building wealth is wrong. I'm not saying that. But wealth is not contentment in the heart. Paul said, I've learned to be content whether I was in need or in want. Whether I had plenty or if I had nothing, I learned to be content. Um, I, I go to the YMCA a couple times a week, and I was actually at the YMCA yesterday morning, and, I struck, and uh, this, this gentleman, he struck up a conversation with me at the Y. It was an odd entry into a conversation, because this is what he said. He said, I've got a good credit score. I was wondering who he was talking to, and he was talking to me. I said, I said, oh, you do? And of course, to me, you know, I understand, and maybe you do too, a good credit score means you're just really good at being in debt. Okay? You're really good at being in debt. He says, I have a good credit score. I said, that's, that's wonderful. He says, yep, and uh, I just bought a brand new car. I said, you did? He said, yeah. He says, 2021. $31,000. And I said, ooh. I said, that's a lot of money. He says, yeah, I know. I know. I said, but hey, if it fits in your budget, I guess, go for it, right? He said, yeah, 3.5% interest. Pretty good, right? I said, seems okay. And um, he says, yeah, I had a brand new car before that too. It was in 2019. I said, well, that doesn't sound like it's that old of a car. He said, no, I traded it in. And so now the curiosity is getting the better of me, and my wife wasn't there to stop me. <laughs> and I said, were you upside down on that car? Yeah, a few thousand dollars. I said, oh, man. Just out of curiosity, I mean, did you just, did you just pay the cash, or did you roll it over to the new car? I just rolled it over to the new car. <sighs> okay, okay. 
So now the coach in me got the better of me. My wife wasn't there to stop me. I said, yeah, I have always bought used cars because when you're not able, and when you really can't afford it, buying a new car is the fastest way to get yourself into poverty. So I, fortunately, I mean, I've always just bought used cars. I don't know. He said, yeah. Um, I said, and then I said, because I would imagine that, man, if I bought a $31,000 car and rolled over the previous car into that loan, you're, I'd probably be paying something like, $450 a month. He said, I'm paying $485. I said, oh, man. I, I said, I, whew. I said, I'm glad that, that hopefully that fits in your budget just right. And uh, I said, because I would imagine you're probably paying that for the next six years. He said, seven. Oh, my gosh. And I said, well, man, uh, that is why I, you know, and, and I wasn't, he didn't, I didn't make him feel bad. But I just wanted to put a stone in his shoe. <laughs> I wanted him to th- think a little bit about that. You don't need to buy yourself into poverty. And you don't need a money tree to be content. Proverbs 22, 7, it says, The rich ruler, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. One more, and then we'll wrap up. And the worship team, you guys don't need to come up. I've gone longer than I like, and then we'll dismiss after this. Want one more commitment for you to reduce stress in your life. Do this. Commit to the Lord. Commit to the Lord. He's Jehovah Jireh, which means our provider. He is a strong tower that we can run to. He's our refuge and our strength. And in times of great stress, it sometimes it brings people back to the presence of God. I remember 9-11 filled our churches for a time. In uncertainty and in chaos, it brings people, sometimes it brings people back to the Lord. What I would tell you is, just don't leave. Don't leave. Commit to the Lord. Make a new commitment this year. If you, if you don't want to have the worst year ever, make a new commitment to the Lord. Jesus, he would get away privately with the Lord. Have a private relationship with God, not just this public one. Commit to the Lord. Deuteronomy 5, this is what it says. It says, walk in obedience to all the Lord has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land you will possess. Living, prospering, and prolonging our days, sign me up. But it's all connected to commitment to the Lord through obedience. This is what I tell my kids all the time. I say, listen, forgiveness is always free. The Bible makes it very clear. It's free. You don't have to do anything to be forgiven. But blessing follows obedience. So if you want to be blessed in my house, thus saith dad, you will obey me. Nah, I'm only serious. Blessing follows obedience. Come on, raise your hand if you want a blessed life. You want God to bless your life this year. God bless our lives.
commit your life to the Lord. Be faithful to what he has given you. Apply yourself in the ways of Jesus. And he can't help but bless you. He, he, he has to bless you. He wants to bless you. He's just waiting for obedience. My youngest brother was a scoundrel. I'm one of four boys. I'm nine years older than him. And I remember when he was young, he would just scream and cry all the time. And I remember my mom would put him in his room and she would tell him, when you're quiet, you can come out. He'd be in there hooting and hollering and hooting and hollering. And she would be standing at his bedroom door with her hand on the doorknob, waiting for just the split second that he would be quiet. And she'd run in and say, you did it. You were quiet. You can come out. Because she wanted him to see that if he were to obey, that she would follow through on what she said. And she, she was desperate for him to see that, and she was just waiting for just, just, the one, just the small window of opportunity to go in there and bless his life. And that's God. God is standing at the, the and he's got his hand on the doorknob, and he's saying, oh, come on, please, just, just, just live in obedience. Do it. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to catch you at the right moment. I'm going to catch you doing the right thing. I'm not trying to catch you doing the wrong thing. I didn't come to, to, to condemn the world, but to rescue the world through Jesus. And I'm just waiting just to, just to catch you doing the right thing. I'm going to bless your life so that you can see that when you commit your life to the Lord, it's the best way to live. And, and so for some of you, you've been hooting and hollering. You've not been living in obedience and God's not there to condemn you. His hand's on the doorknob. He's just waiting to show you how powerful your obedience to him, your commitment to him, how powerful it can be in transforming your life. Even at the beginning of all creation, Scripture says that there was chaos over the earth. It says it like this in Genesis 1. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. This word empty, it means that there was this void in the atmosphere that caused great chaos on the earth. And the darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit was hovering over the waters. And then God said this, he said, let there be a, a vault. Some versions will say, let there be a space between the waters to separate water from water. In other words, to separate what we call sky and land. You see, what happened was the presence of God came and filled the void. The void that caused the chaos on the earth. The presence of God came and filled the void and caused the space between the waters. And what have we been saying? If you want to reduce the stress and the chaos and the storm of your life, you need margin. You need space. And the Spirit of God, the presence of God, what it will do is it will create and fill in the void of your life. And in the presence of God, you can have incredible peace. The antidote for an empty, chaotic life is when the presence of God comes into our chaos and creates peace. Stand with me this morning. I went longer than I like. With heads bowed, eyes closed, 
a room of this size with this number of people, there's, I know there's somebody here today. You came in and you're stressed. You're stressed. Maybe you hit your boiling point this last week and, and you're not proud of maybe how you treated your spouse or your kids or a co-worker. I want you to know that, first of all, there is forgiveness for you and that in the presence of God, you can find peace but man, you need to find some, a way to create space in your life. You're living maxed to your capacity. Learn what to say no to and what to say yes to. God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, those that are here this morning, they're at their limits. God, I pray that you would do what you do best. That you show up you help rescue us. But God, you also ask for us, a commitment from us to now do something about it. I pray that this has helped someone today. God, I pray that you are speaking to hearts, healing lives, and that you are lifting the burden. A commitment to you is where we can start. Your word says that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And someone's been carrying some stuff that needs laid down today. Maybe if someone's here today and what has been, been, been wearing you out happens to be an offense that you're carrying, I just ask that this morning you choose forgiveness and you free yourself from the prison of offense and resentment and be free. So God, help us to forgive like you forgive. You forgive everything. You forgive everything all things. You forgive all the time, and you have forgiven all people. All we have to do is come to you and repent. Help us now, God, to walk in obedience to have a blessed life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give God one clap. Oh, yeah, stress-free clap offering to him. Thank you, God, for lifting the burden. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you guys next time.